Hello again, ladies and gentlemen. Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you chapter 80 of Radiance, my original Fallout fan fiction. As always, I do hope you've been enjoying this little tale I've been weaving through the Fallout universe for us all. And as always, if you can like, share, subscribe this wherever you can, and either leave me feedback at fanfiction.net, archiveofourown.org, or even at my own website, ghostnobody.com. All comments are welcome and appreciated, and it always you know, brings a cheer to my heart to read them. And while you're at ghostnobody.com, pop over to the ghostly link section and pick up a copy of Mortis at, Ma- at Smashwords. Do a little bit to help support me keep me doing this. And, you know, bringing you guys the stories that you love. Or every little bit helps, as Tesco's always fond of saying. So, without any further ado, let's get on with the show. Now, and first the usual legal disclaimer. I don't own Fallout or anything to do with it. That's Bethesda's area, along with all the bugs and game-breaking glitches and everything else. And hopefully, Starfield. Some point. Soon. But, until that point, I'll just keep the crazy tales. Let's get on with the show. Chapter 80. Breaking in and out. Fuller and Glory finally have finished their long trek to the staging ground, where they met the other railroad heavies who were waiting on their arrival in the HQ that had been hastily set up. Atop the f- top floor of a bombed-out building, they overlooked the radar compound at a distance. So, what's the situation? Gloria asked as the pair finished greeting the other heavies that were escorted to the command table by a large grizzled man who called himself Bear, who screamed veteran to Fuller. He was either ex-mercenary or ex-military, or possibly both, by the look of him, and it could quite possibly be an NCR. Not good in the slightest, Glory. From the latest intel we've managed to gather coming out of this place, it's likely that they've managed to figure out what they've got their hands on there. And from what we've heard, they've been in contact with the Brotherhood, Bear said. Fuck! When are they arriving? Glory said, slamming her hands into the tabletop in frustration. Couple of hours at most. We have to hit them now, otherwise this up is going to draw a lot of heat. If the Brotherhood figure out that this was us that done this... They're going to start hunting us. And given that I've heard on the airwaves they've been calling in heavy reinforcements because of the losses they've been taking, what with that war they've got going on with the avian tribals to the north, pretty soon this place is going to be swarming with tin soldiers, Bear said, sounding kind of forlorn. Avian tribals? Fuller asked curiously. Yeah, there's a non-human tribe of what look like bird people live towards the north in the hills. For the most part, they're peaceful as long as you leave them alone and don't piss them off. And, you know, don't enter their territory without an invite. Hell, our people have even actually managed to trade with them on quite a few occasions. They seem to love fruits that don't grow up there. And they seem to have a real talent for scavenging and repairing things. Right little tinkers, that lot. They seem to have a talent also for laying their feathery little hands on high-end weaponry and armour. Which, to be fair, we can put to good use. Bear said with a bit of a grin. So what's the Brotherhood's beef with them then? Fuller asked, and Bear just shrugged. Typical tin pot dictators, really, with heavy emphasis on the tin pot. They believe they can go wherever they want and do whatever they want, and when that happens to be right into someone else's backyard. Well, the avians didn't like that one bit. If I can tell you something about that lot, they seriously know how to fight. Scary bunch, to say the least. No idea who taught them, but I'd love to talk shop with them sometimes because they can seriously put the shits at people, Bear said. 
Fuller couldn't help but wonder if Seven's team might be sniffing about there somewhere, given their perchance for helping non-humans out. But he kept that thought to himself. Well then, if the Brotherhood's involved, we're going to have to up our game plan, and damn quick. Glory said, and Fuller shook his head, causing her to raise an eyebrow and look at him questioningly. Well, we had a plan in place, to leave a message to the Raiders not to fuck with us again. But for my money, I think we could simply easily modify said plan to make it look like another Raider crew hit him, and took the sense. For my money, that'll be a double win. Because not only do we not take the heat for ourselves, but we send the Brotherhood after the Raiders, which will take the pressure off the normal people of Boston by having the Tin Brigade wipe out the Raider clans in the area, especially if they're hunting down these synths, Fuller said thoughtfully. An evil smile broke out on Glory's face and it was instantly echoed on Bears and a few of the others. I like the way you think, new guy. You're a fucking crafty one, to be sure. That could work rather nicely. Have you got anyone in mind? Bear asked. I do. I know a group that's been li- giving Diamond City and Bunker Hill grief for a few months. Now, normally I wouldn't give a fuck about Diamond City as they can take care of themselves, but they're harassing our caravans out of Bunker Hill. We've lost a good couple of heavies to them, and this is a good opportunity to use those tinic soldiers to extract some sort of revenge for us, Glory said, cutting in. And... Well, all right then. So what's the plan? Bear asked, and both Glory and Fuller outlined what they had in mind. Fortunately, nightfall was only an hour away when both Glory and Fuller had arrived, so when they finished outlining their plan it had fully fallen, so it was currently pitch black outside when the heavies re-emerged into the open air, so there was no delay in getting the operation kicked off. To his surprise, Glory gave Fuller a quick kiss on the cheek, as well as a hug before they separated. She also told him not to die, a sentiment that he had echoed back to her. And now as he crawled along the drainage trench that led into the pipes that he was going to use to infiltrate the base, couldn't help but replay it over in his head, along with the thoughts that had been plaguing him ever since he started this mission. Never in his life had he experienced such care and tenderness amongst his comrades, but he could see it plain as day among the railroad people. He genuinely cared, not only just about one another, but about non-human lives that they took it upon themselves to defend. Plus, having experienced the very distinct joys of one of those sad non-human lives himself, having spent the last couple of days with glory, he felt like the very fabric of this world was beginning to come apart at the seams. Having got to know her the way he did, Fuller was truly beginning to see exactly why Seven and his people did what they did. And they were right. There was no way he could deny it to himself any more. He also knew that if the railroad encountered Seven's people on hostile footing, they'd get their collective arses beat into the ground, as Seven's team's reputation was pretty fearsome one, given for their ability to be able to punch far above their weight with it given their numbers. He truly didn't want that to happen. He also knew that if they encountered them on friendly terms, there was a good chance they'd become pretty strong allies, given their belief in pretty much exactly the same sort of goals which in essence was the people he was fighting for was rather violently opposed to. Now, on the surface, the Enclave said they opposed slavery, but in reality they completely embraced it, doing everything from press-ganging entire towns into service to either provide cannon fodder or soldiers or even food and supplies. In essence, they were no better than raiders, really, 
just better organised and equipped. Hell, even the Brotherhood were better than them. At least they tried to protect people, for the most part, and wouldn't go out to either enslave or attack civilians, so they at least had some morals. But given the very nature of the mission that he was now on, he realised completely that his people had none. This also led him to the realisation that his own team would put him down without a single second of hesitation, should he rebel against them, or worse, they'd probably put down the people around him like glory to force his cooperation. He had to end it. He had to break away from the ESF to actually free himself from the Enclave. The real question was, how? Fuller knew deep in his heart that if he tried to remove the subdermal implants, his team would likely storm the place thinking that he'd been killed and to remove any trace of his existence, including anyone who'd met him. Sterilisation and plausible deniability, two of the cornerstones of the ESF's operating manual. There was also a very good likelihood that the subdermals themselves were probably booby-trapped, some kind of trigger mechanism that would either cause them to explode or release some kind of poison into his bloodstream if he tried to remove them without a very exact procedure. That was the kind of thing he fully expected from the Enclave now. He needed a way out, and what's more, he needed a way to prevent them from actually being able to broadcast what he was saying and his location, so that he could have time to remove them. question was, how? These were the thoughts for another time. Right now, his railroad team were counting on him, and he had to get his hit in the game. He had a husky rescue to pull off, and so far his distraction began to crawl head first through a plitch black narrow po- compound without even truly realising it. After a few yards, Fuller came to his first obstacle in the pipes. A large metal grate that was designed to stop anything larger than a rat from passing through between the bars. With a bit of wiggling, he removed the plasma cutter he'd been carrying between his teeth and aimed his red light head torch at the bars. Fortunately, he'd remembered to bring his anti-flash goggles with him. They were like a pair of welder's goggles with lenses that reacted to bright light by turning black in a split second to protect the wearer's eyes from getting arc-eye from the bright light, as well as protecting them from the sparks as he cut through the metal. The heat from the torch inside the narrow pipe was incredible. He could feel it washing over his face as he cut through the bars like butter with the plasma cutter. The ends of the bars glowed white-hot as he sliced through them, so he was going to have to be real careful when he crawled over, otherwise he was going to seriously burn himself, though he had brought a filled canteen with water just to cool them down just for this kind of instance. Once he'd cut cooled metal and slowly picked his way through the stumps, which were surprisingly sharper on the edges, it was like crawling over a series of hot knives, he continued on his way down the pipe. He began to crawl in earnest again once he finally reached the inside of the tank, only inside the old pump house that would lead him and the prisoners to freedom. He pressed his head against the inside of the metal and listened hard, but he couldn't really hear anything outside or close by at least. The most he could hear was a few muted voices, and by his judgment they sounded pretty far away. So, taking a deep breath and checking his suppressed pistol, he fired up the torch once more and began to cut through the outside of the heavy metal tank. Fuller cut the metal in such a way that when he cut the section it would fall inwards and make a lot less noise by not slamming either into the tank itself or the floor. He did this by holding a heavy wadded piece of leather against it, 
so that he could take the weight and lower it inside. Even though the scorching level, he could f- through the scorching leather, he could feel the heat of the torch that had dumped itself into the metal. But finally, the circling cut was complete. He took the weight of the thick steel, steel disc. He cut and lowered it slowly into the tank. There was no way to make it completely silent, but he, given that he couldn't hold the thing properly, given how hot it was, and he simply just wasn't carrying enough water to cool it down. So there was a bit of a deep metallic thud as he got it to the floor, and the reaction was almost instant. The fuck was that? A voice from outside exclaimed. No idea, but we better check it out, another voice said, and Fuller moved like a man possessed. Quick as a flash, he was out of the tank and into the pump house. He instantly saw the door to the old pump. He quickly dashed around the pump and doused his torch, quickly swapping the cutter for his suppressed pistol just as the door itself was unlocked and a torch beam lanced through into the darkness. I swear to fucking God, if one of those mole rats fucking got through the pipes again, I'm going to drop a fucking plasma grenade in there with them to keep them company, a gruff voice growled. And a second voice laughed. Oh yeah, or maybe pump up canister of that buff jet spray that Clips keeps making and watch them tear each other to fucking pieces. We could even take bets, the second one said, making the first one chuckle as well. If it wasn't a good waste of good buff jet, I'd fucking do just that. Probably make some good ta- caps on taking bets too, this guy said. Fuller tracked their progress to the small pump house by watching the shadows moving. Once he was sure he'd at the spot he'd just cut, he moved silently. What in the name of fuck is this? Second guy exclaimed, exactly one second before Fuller's knife blade emerged through his throat, causing him to gurgle in pure fear and panic, not to mention pain. The other guy began to turn, only to come eye to eye with a large cylinder of Fuller's suppressed pistol, which with a deep, muted thud ended his life before his brain even had a chance to comprehend what his eyes had actually seen. Both men collapsed to the floor and quick as a flash, Fuller began pulling them behind the back of the pump. He also relieved them of their weapons and ammo. They might be pretty shit, but at least it would give the synths a chance to defend themselves once he sprung them. Fuller stuck his head out of the door and looked around the compound now. And to his relief, most of the raiders were either passed out drunk, wasted, or just asleep. So they barely had any reaction at all when he fired the flare gun he'd been carrying into the sky to signal the attack to begin. The response outside was instantaneous. With a crash like thunder, the main gate blew inwards as the demo charges that the heavies had rigged up went off and brought them inwards, followed immediately by said heavies. Right in the centre of the group, toting her trademark minigun was Glory, and she wasted no time opening up on the reader barracks as they began to stumble out in a stupid haze. Under the cover of the automatic gunfire, Fuller dashed forward towards the hut that they knew was holding the hostage synths. So just as he was pulling out his torch to cut the door locks off, the door actually opened from the inside to reveal a man that had obviously been charged with guarding them, and he was obviously not expecting to find Fuller on the other side of it. Though to be fair, Fuller hadn't exactly expecting to see him either, and given he had no time to draw his pistol before the man raised his rifle, the only thing he could do, he clicked the plasma cutter on and pressed it straight into the man's eyeball. With a soul-shattering scream, the man dropped both his gun and fell to his knees as his eyeballs boiled inside and vaporised inside his head, thanks to the superheated plasma gas that had just been sprayed into it. 
This gave Fuller the time he needed to actually pull his pistol back out and pop a single shot into the top of his head, ending his torment before stepping over his body and into the room beyond. First thing he saw was a cage that had been crudely welded into the corner of the room, and beyond the bars he saw the terrified synth clustered together for protection. Don't be frightened. I'm here with the railroad, and we're here to get you out, Fuller said, stepping up to the gates. The railroad? You found us? A man exclaimed, lifting his head to look at Fuller, as he brought the torch to the lock and chain holding the gate shut. Shield your eyes, Fuller exclaimed before he began cutting through the chains, causing the gates to swing open once he was done. Okay, let's go. Stick to me like glue, Fuller yelled and began pulling people out of the cage before shepherding the group towards the pump house. Okay, once we're inside, you're going to need to crawl. I've cut into the drainage pipes. Now it's tight. Don't worry, though, you'll fit. If I made it through with all of this gear, you too can too. So when you're on the other side, there's another one of us waiting for you. So let's move like you've got a fucking purpose, people, he exclaimed. The three instants didn't need to be told twice, and they positively bombed headfirst right into the hole in the tank. Only moments later, he could hear the telltale sounds of people crawling through the pipes for their lives. Once they were clear, Fuller moved on to phase three, and he quickly exited the pump house again to join the fight, headed right for his next target, pausing only to shoot at any raiders that presented themselves in his path, though this time he was using his rifle, so the hits were a bit more dramatic than the pistol. As he reached the middle of the compound, he very quickly saw the armoury, where there were two people inside handing out weapons and ammo to those who had made it that far. Quickly pulling the chain from inside his bag, he pulled a single pin and wound up his throw. The chain spun through the air like a lazy propel blade, hurting one of the armourers straight in the chest and wrapping itself around him, making him fall backwards into the room. The man had barely enough time to actually look down and see what it wrapped itself around him before he vanished in a cloud of ionised plasma gas that ignited everything explosive inside the armoury instantaneously. The explosion was absolutely tremendous and sent a flame-filled fireball that turned into a mushroom cloud hurtling skywards that Fuller just had enough time to dive clear of before it rocketed into the sky. The explosion took out most of the rear side of the compound and if Fuller hadn't released the hostages there first then there would have been a bit of a problem freeing them given that the shed they'd been secured in had just actually ceased to exist as did the vast majority of their force that had been clo- closely clustered around the back of the armoury trying to get to the weapons. As pretty much all raiders always do, they always fight to protect their stash rather than each other. The rest of the fighting left was incredibly short-lived, as the heavies had been expecting the explosion, so they weren't exactly rattled by it going off. In fact, they used it as an opportunity to push home their advantage, and to wipe out the remaining pockets of the resistance of raiders dotted around the camp. Fuller remained in the camp and helped with the clean-up. Only the railroad personnel now remained. We lose anyone? He called as he finished sweeping the compound, and Glory approached him, grinning all over her face, showing her obvious joy that their plan had gone off flawlessly. Nope. All people accounted for and all hostages freed. Not a single loss. Couldn't have asked for a better outcome, if you ask me, he said, grinning all over our handsome face. How long till the Brotherhood get here? Fuller asked, and Bear checked his watch. And as he did, he saw Fuller saw his face darken. Not long, we better get a move on, he said. 
All right, people, let's move like we've got a purpose. Extraction team, you get the hostages moving clear of the AO. Last thing we want is the brother picking up their heat signatures on the sensors when they arrive. Rest of you, we're with, you're with me and Glory. We'll get this place look like Raiders fucked it seven ways from Sunday. Fuller call before you and Glory got everyone organised into work teams and moving. They could only afford half an hour before they had to bail out, and that made it to a safe distance. The last thing they did was make a heavy sign heading towards what Baird said was the direction of another raider camp that had framed camp. Once they'd done this, they all split up and vanished into the night, scattering off in as many directions as they could in order to try and prevent pursuit. As Glory and Fuller themselves, they retreated to a building about a quarter of a mile away, where they set up to actually watch the show from the upper floors. They barely had time to settle in when the telltale rattling sounds of vertebrate engines cut through the silence of the night. In the silence of the world now, engines really did tend to stand out among either silence or the simple nature sounds of the wastes, being completely metallic in nature. As the pair watched, the Brotherhood vertebrate swung in now low over the compound, and Volk could see the two power-armoured knights manning the door guns as the large craft lined itself up and put down among the burning rubble of the ruins. They'd done a pretty convincing job of raidering up the remains, with both strung-up bodies and clan signs painted in blood of the deceased all over the shop. Not exactly an avenue-able job, to be sure, but a necessary one. Little touches like that would go a long way to convince the Brotherhood that the raiders had come to see had been wiped out by a rival clan who had now made off with their prize. With any luck, the knights would do one of two things. Either fly over and hit the other raider clan in the hope of recovering said captured synths, were currently known to them on their way out of the state with the extraction team hidden amongst a caravan, or B, simply head home having been convinced of the loss of their prize. Thankfully, they bought it and chose option A, the vertebrate lifting off again before orbiting the compound once. It took off in this direction that the Raider clan's HQ had been according to Bear. It was set up in a hotel a couple of miles away. Woo, we did it! What did I tell you? I tell you all, we make a fucking good team, you and me, Glory said, throwing her arms around his neck and hugging him tightly. You bet that flying black ass of yours we do, you've played with a toothy grin. Glory grinned at him now a bit more mischievously. And how would you know my black ass is so fine, good sir? Been looking that closely, have you? She said playfully and full of laughed. Well, let's just say I have some inside knowledge on hand to aid my observation. He said, making her roar with laughter. More than a little, I'd say, and it definitely didn't feel little, she said with a grin. Well, that's good to know, he said, replying her embrace. You know, when we get back, I'm going to put it to desert to have you made into my permanent partner, she said, and Fuller cocked his head curiously. Had you pegged as the lone wolf type? Starting to get used to my company, are we? He asked, and she grinned at him. Let's just say I could definitely get used to the perks of such a said partnership. Now, speaking of perks, how about a little celebration of a flawless mission, eh? She said with a smile. So, what did you have in mind? Fuller asked with a playful but coy voice. Glory gave him a warm smile before hooking his leg to trip him. But she fully failed to anticipate Fuller's reflexes as he rotated the trip instead of spinning her da- instead spinning her down onto her back instead, 
most definitely surprising her. You forget us, ESF guys, don't go down that easy. He growled softly in her ear before nipping it as he pinned her down. Well, in my experience, I know one that does go down rather easily. Problem is, he doesn't come back up. Not that I'd probably notice. My brain's always mush by that point. Glory shot back with a grin. Well, you know what us ex-Special Forces types are like? Always got to hit the right weak spots, he said, running a hand down over her stomach and sliding it slowly in between her thighs. Glory gasped and arched her back as his nimble fingers found their target. And when you find it, strike hard and fast, she said in a breathless voice. Before settling in and simply pounding your target into submission, he growled, making her shiver all over. Stop teasing me and t- or take me, Owl, before I go fucking crazy, she panted wantingly. Now, who am I ref- to refuse an order like that? He said, and with that he's truly set to work on her. The next morning, as Fuller woke up, he lay there stroking Glory's hair as her head lay on his chest and her arms clung tightly to his torso. This was all wrong. Everything. This was the very thing he was supposed to be fighting against with the ESF. He'd joined the ESF to make a difference and to be the best of the best. But now as he'd witnessed the world itself was truly fighting for all around him, he was beginning to realise that he was the bad guy. His so-called friends and comrades would have zero issue wiping out this remarkable woman without a second thought or an ounce of pity. To them she's nothing more than a talking toaster, just lights and clockwork. They wouldn't care about the truly remarkable, loving, kind, gentle woman that Glory absolutely was. None of her hopes, wants or dreams would matter a single thing to them. To them she was an abomination to be extinguished. And that's when something else hit him as well. Even if he did complete his mission, to them he'd be considered tainted, stained now. Even if they understood that he was doing this to maintain his cover in their eyes, he would still be the guy who fucked the robot chick and liked it. There would always be whispers and glances, and that would be the least of his worries. The biggest was, he didn't want to go back. He wanted to find Seven and his team but he didn't want to turn them over to Dr. Chalmers so that he could go back to being either a weapon or a test subject, locked in a cage for her to play games with. He wanted to warn them, to warn them what was coming. But the question still remained, how? Fuller decided he needed to break free, but he knew in his heart that he couldn't just blow off the ESF and then go on with his life at the railroad. If he did that... The ESF would simply burn them to the ground to either recover him or to take revenge for his betrayal. And he wouldn't that allow that to happen to these good people. He wouldn't allow that to happen to her. He looked at Glory's beautiful sleeping face as she smiled into his chest and snuggled her head against his bare skin. To protect her, he was going to have to leave her. To save her, he was going to have to hurt her. He understood that now. And that's when he had a moment of pure clarity. In order to live, he was going to have to die. This was going to need careful planning and even more careful execution. There were multiple angles he had to consider in order to make this worst. The first and most dangerous part of which was the subdermals themselves. With them monitoring everything he heard, said or did, 
he was going to have to figure out a way of disabling them. Once they were disabled, he could probably have them extracted and properly destroyed. He was going to need something that generated a very powerful EMP. Next was the issue of his body. In order to properly fake his death, he was going to need to use a method that didn't leave trace. Or if it did, it left something that was pretty much completely unidentifiable, so that his team could simply say KIA but never truly know the truth. This was going to mean that he was going to need something incredibly noxious chemicals, like acid or possibly something incredibly hot, like either plasma or nuclear fire. Something that left no real trace that could be identified behind. He also knew that it was going to have to happen within the confines of a mission. Killed in a firefight was going to be far more believable than simply died in an accident to his team. He needed to ensure that they wouldn't dig too deep into what had happened in order to see the holes and inconsistencies in the stories. And there was going to be those. There always were in these cases. Like this, the ESF was actually rather skilled when it came down to hunting traitors who tried little tricks like this in either to defect or simply run away. In fact, it was actually one of the main duties of the teams that they were given when they weren't on something important like this, tracking down runaways and defectors and either bringing them back in irons so they could be re-educated or making sure their absence was actually permanent and no one could actually make use of their skills or knowledge that the Enclave had gifted them with. So he knew they were going to going to look hard if he gave them reason to. He needed to make sure that he created a scenario where they were simply going in the team were convinced there was no way anyone could have survived it. That way they really wouldn't poke in too hard and would be convinced what they saw by on face value. This was going to take some serious forethought as well as some careful planning. And what was worse he was going to have to do it pretty much exclusively in his head as anything he wrote down could risk either being seen by his team or the railroad. Plus, on top of that, he was going to have to continue with his mission from the ESF for the time being as well, or they were going to start getting suspicious of him. Though he did get the feeling that now at least he should have enough credibility to possibly start a hunt for Seven and his team. At the very least, it might actually help to point him in the right direction of locating them and forewarning them of what was coming. That way, is we be able to deal with it, or at least stand a chance of doing so. And a part of that weighed heavily on his heart, was knowing that he was really going to have to hurt this beautiful woman laid on his chest right now. He was really starting to like her in all the right ways. The young synthetic woman really had a very hard life, and he felt like a total shit for making her suffer even more, even if he actually hadn't done so yet. He knew it was coming, and that was bad enough but he could at least promise himself that in the time leading up to his execution of his plan, he would make her as happy as possible, so when she remembered him, she'd have nothing but happy and fond memories to make her smile through the tears that she would that would be shed. Though he got the feeling this was going to be as much for him as her, because he knew deep down she wouldn't be the only one shedding them. His first instinct had been possibly start pulling away from her, to distance himself. But two things had shot that plan right down. One, it would have made everyone suspicious as to why his attitude suddenly changed so very dramatically, only for him to then go pop and die. His team would see right through that one like a pane of fucking glass. Secondly, 
was he knew that he didn't want to hurt Glory any more than he was going to have to. So instead he felt it would be much better and kinder for him to make her as happy as he could leading up to the false belief that she was going to live with. It seemed like the much kinder thing for to do for her. This line of thought continued to be with him as the pair of them journeyed back towards headquarters. During the day he kept up his professionalism and his playfulness. At night he bathed her in passion and ecstasy, making her sleep deep and her dreams joyful. All by himself, he felt like he was dying a little bit more with every lie that he told. It was like every single one was tearing off another shred of his soul before casting it into the flames. He just hoped there'd be enough of it left, that when he did break free, to be still considered himself. Though it seemed fate, and indeed karma, was watching over him as they arrived back at HQ because a fastball mission had literally just come in moments before they walked through the door, and Desdemona was all over them before they even put their packs down. Good timing, you two. I've already heard about your success from Bear, so you don't have to worry about the debrief. I'm going to need you guys to rearm and head back out. I've got to arrange some transport for this one, because I'm going to need you guys on site as quickly as fucking possible. He said, grabbing them both and leading them over to the map table. Transport? What for? And how did you pull that one off, boss? Fuller asked quizzically. Let's just say I've got some friends in the minutes, men. And let's just say this. Their general's kind of an old friend, who lends us a hand from time to time. Well, this, this is one of those times. We've gotten word of a hunter team going after science team. Not only do we have synths, but actual institute defectors on our hands this time. This could be fucking huge for us. People with actual knowledge of how to get inside the Institute and its secrets. This, this could be the key to putting a stop to it all, once and for all, she said excitedly. All right, where are they headed and what's the score? Glory asked. Ah, yes, well, now that's the bad news, Demona said and both of them cocked their heads. Why do I get the feeling I'm seriously not going to fucking like this? Fuller said. Yeah, well, not unless the glowing sea is top of your holiday sightseeing destinations, in which case it'll be right up your alley, Des said. The glowing sea? Fucking seriously, Glory said, and Des nodded. Yep, and before anyone asks the obvious but dumb question of why, let me say, can you think of a better place to hide from people hunting you than a radioactive nightmare filled with glowing death claws and where even the air will kill you? She said. Both of them looked at one another and sighed. Yeah, okay, good point. Well then, we're going to need some power armour, Glory said. Well, I can get one set. Not sure about a second, Fuller said, piping up, and Des looked at him curiously. Left my old EFS set in a safe place before coming into the city. Thing is DNA locked, so nobody can nick it. But I felt clomping about, and it made me a bit too much of a target. Could go back and easily pick it up, though, he said, and Des pointed and nodded. Good. And it just so happens we laid our hands on some Brotherhood armour via our unusual feathered friends we have. We're having it shipped out to the edge of the sea. So once we pick up yours, we can get you both on site and armoured up. But, here's the thing, FYI, you're going up against enforcers. So you're going to need it for more than one reason, Des said, warningly. Well, this day just keeps getting better and better. Alright, give us the details. Looks like the dream team's going to have to pull our, some more asses out of the fire than any partner, Corey said, nudging Fuller, who just grinned and nodded. 
but he never said a word. His mind was going a million miles a second. He'd just seen a plan in place. Ah, so that was chapter 80, ladies and gentlemen. But will Fuller be able to pull off his plan? Or will it all go horribly wrong? And going into the glowing sea is no joke. So he's going to have to watch his back. Well, you're going to have to tune in next time to find out what happens. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, I'll see you next time.